Tyler here on the Sub MOA podcast brought to you by Max Ordnance. We're just hanging out, getting ready to go out to the range for the weekend, run our Precision Rifle 1 course. Ray, I'm going to hit you with a question really fast that I did not prepare you for. Okay, <laughs> of course. It's a fun question though. If you had the ability at one of these competitions to design your own stage you know let's say this slide this past week in the axis works match okay. rusty comes up and he says ray i want you to design whatever stage that you want and you can make it using whatever right targets distance time obstacles whatever so you can tailor this stage to your advantage what would the stage look like oh <laughs> i mean i just hey, i'll give you a hint like for me I'm a fast shooter, so I would probably set up a stage where there's like three or four different movements with maybe, I don't know, two or three targets, but, you know, a 60 or 75 second time limit so that I can push the envelope with my own skills but make others struggle, you know what I'm saying? So I would try and, I would try and pick a skill that would be advantageous to myself, so... When you self-reflect, what is that skill that you are just like, this is it, right here? Well, I kind of like movement stages, and it would have to be unlimited gear. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, what are you making? How are you tailoring this stage to your advantage? Because I'm a rock star with a tripod. (laughs) (laughs) As a rear rest? As a rear rest. Okay. And I would make everything my height. That I could reach. Oh, I'm still not seeing the advantage for Ray in this whole scenario right now. Well, the advantage for me is I can actually shoot and see the target. Okay, so you said unlimited gear. Mm-hmm. You also said uh, movement and multiple targets and, and barricades are the appropriate height. Yeah. Okay, so how would this stage go down? For, let's start off, um, how many targets? Um... It doesn't matter, I don't think. It does. We're creating your stage right okay. now. Okay, let's say one target. One target, okay. Kind of like a as barricade. All right. But w- let's move, instead of like going up so high, let's like move it. Just keep on moving to the left. Last time I checked, you weren't the best or the fastest on the PRS barricade. Excuse me? <laughs> For Regina's match, I was second place out of the whole place like because it was height for time yes but and uh, points too okay i mean but if you max out and every you know half the other people max out it's the same score i didn't max out you didn't get eight hits i oh oh yes i got eight hits but my time was really good because that was a tiebreaker stage so you were saying would, would you get bonus points for finishing faster you know when we did that prs gas gun um series yeah the faster you finished, the better score you got. Would it be something like that? Uh, no, because then I would feel like I would rush myself, and I think I would, You're you just know, get too, overly excited. You are too nice of a person right now. That's what it is, is <laughs> you care too much about everybody else. And you're like, well, I don't want it to be too hard. And... <laughs> okay, let's say um, maybe go into one of those dog houses where tall people have a hard time. <laughs> Okay, I like that. You remember that doghouse in NorCal, TBRC? 
You had to uh-huh. climb in that, that little tiny house. They used to have one at the Sin City Precision matches. What about Dusty's match where you had to shoot on the roof and then you had to climb under the roof? Yeah. That was, that was pretty difficult for a lot of tall people. All right. Well, I think you answered my question. I just wanted to throw you through a loop right there. Um, a couple other things we want to talk about during this episode is tripod usage and also what makes a professional shooter. You Earlier, you and I discussed, I told you what to think about, what you wanted to think, what, what you wanted to say when I would bring these topics up on my podcast and you were already starting to spout stuff off to me and I'm like just save it just 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 (laughs) wait until the show right because I had some good comebacks for you but I'm sure you've already thought about my comebacks and now you're ready to just get after it so with that being said we're gonna hold off the professional shooter conversation until after we talk about tripods okay um so, I would say, I don't know, 2000, I mean, tripods have been being used for sniping operations for decades. Um, we haven't always been the best at it. We did start to get better in the mid-2000s, you know, more wartime experience, things of that nature. And the tripods started getting better, right? And the the bomb diggity, you know, whatever. <laughs> the bomb diggity. The bomb diggity tripods <laughs> were like man Frodo's. And then they started coming out with carbon fiber. And oh my gosh, everybody's like, man, that's the heat. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I mean, you look at these tripods today and you got really right stuff. You got Crux Ord. You and I use Crux Ord. It's like cheating. It, it's a very stable tripod. It's super lightweight. I mean, can't complain. Right? No, oh, I love it. But, I mean, tripod, shooting from a tripod has come so far. And you still see people who have not jumped on to, I don't want to call it a bandwagon. Bandwagons are usually bad, right? Not necessarily. Well, you still see people who haven't gotten line, who are still like, well, why do you need a tripod? Like, you try making some of these shots without a support, at seven, eight hundred yards, one MOA target, you know, like it's difficult. Yeah, but they don't shoot the way that we shoot. True, true. Um, but I guess where I'm going with this conversation is like how the tripod has kind of evolved in both competitive shooting, hunting, military, law enforcement operations, and, you know, companies that are making them, how they're employed. You know, all of these things start to get factored in. But just the employment side, and you've you've come through all of my classes for Precision Rifle 2. You've been there to observe and and sometimes participate in some of the law enforcement classes. And you see all of the stuff that we do for tripods. Our advanced sniper course is super tripod heavy because very rarely are you going to find yourself in the prone in one of these situations. You know what I'm saying? Correct. So, a couple points when you're trying to employ a tripod is just from the very beginning. Think about how the tripod is set up, right? You've got three legs. They're all down touching the ground, okay? And the way you want to set the tripod up is you want to have two legs to the rear and one leg forward, right? And I know you know this. Yes. 
But the whole purpose is so that when you feel, when you get that recoil, that if the tripod happens to rock back, it will rock back and forward and stay in the same spot. Right, because there's two legs supporting the rear of the rifle versus just one. Now there are some different circumstances where this would change, such as a rooftop, you know, or a hillside. You might find yourself working with one leg to the rear and two legs forward, but there's a completely different feel of recoil there. Right, so you mm -hmm. can you can get away with those things. Um, another thing is how high the tripod should be set up. So if we're just talking about the standing position right now, for the standing position, whether you're using some type of saddle, um, gun jaw, you know, something that clamps onto the rifle, that should be set to be sternum height, you know? And what this does is when you place the rifle into this saddle, into this fixture, and you clamp it down, then you have to lean into the rifle. You're not standing straight up and down anymore. So it's allowing you to absorb that recoil, stay on target, better follow-up shots. It's a similar position to being in the prone versus just standing straight up and down and your upper body is absorbing that whole recoil. Okay, you're, you're so I want to insert a comment. Go for it. Right there. Before I started taking your courses and I was just kind of looking at pictures of like your law enforcement courses and like you tripod shooting and I would always see these guys in these interesting poses and I'm like, okay, you want to show off your butt? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> but I knew there was something about it because everyone from your class, you know, had the same position. Um... And later I found out it was you're trying to mimic the prone. Mimic the prone. Get that booty out there. But we also call it the prison pose. We do call it the prison pose, um, especially when we're, you know, dealing with cops. It's something that they can relate to. I mean, not physically having been there, but, you know, it's a funny joke that it allows them to remember what we're talking about. So... Yeah, setting that saddle or that rest up or that clamp, whatever it is that's holding the rifle, is sternum level. And that's going to be the, the case for every position. If you get into a kneeling position, same thing. You want to be in the kneeling that you're going to shoot from, and then you're going to, uh-oh. And then you're going to basically set the tripod up from there versus... You know, setting the tripod up, jumping down in position, and then trying to build your position around it. So you have to be careful with that simply because that's typically what happens all the time is a person will set their tripod up and then try and build their position around the tripod. But like I always tell you and every other student is... You make the tripod work for you, right? You get into your position, what's comfortable, what's stable, and then build that tripod, build that rifle around your position. And same thing goes for the seated position, right? And every position's got its place, and everyone's going to be a little bit more stable here and there. And the crazy part is we all have <laughs> our little things about which position works better for us. Yes, and I'm the opposite of everybody. You are like the queen of the standing. <laughs> But you can't hit the side of a barn from the kneeling. 
It's like your Achilles heel. It's like the tripod is made out of kryptonite and just... You, I just you, I'm uncomfortable, that's why. You get why. weak and you just... Eh. Well, I, well when I get into those positions, I'm uncomfortable. And that's important, is finding a position that you can be comfortable in. You know, you can't, you can't beat it enough into your head of getting into a comfortable position and build around... Build that tripod around your position. But right? I do... Um, I kind of fix that. You did? Yes. What you got? <laughs> Pants. Pants. Well, <laughs> you know, that would fix anybody's problem, I guess. Well, when I used to shoot offhand, um, I would just unbutton my pants and shoot offhand. Like in the kneeling or the sitting, just because my pants were too tight. <laughs> and it was uncomfortable. But now I got the um, the True Spec Expedition pants, and they have like an elastic waist, and oh, it's perfect. Yeah. The, the True Spec pants are legit. Have you ever heard of a Dunlop? Mm-mm. Your belly's Dunlopped over your belt. <laughs> 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 so, anyways, um, so that's a little bit about the tripod. Um, you do need to get used to working with it, extending the legs, understanding its capabilities. You know, it, it doesn't have to be set up one specific way all the time. There's certain key elements that you want to work with and always focus on having those elements. But then the rest of it is open to your imagination. And it's just really getting to know your gear. And we're going to get way more into tripods on another episode. Uh, we don't want to keep you here all day because we could talk about tripods forever. But we are going to transition to our next subject, which is what makes a professional shooter. And for my purposes, I'm kind of going to be that devil's advocate. But I've got Paul San Diego on the phone with us right now. And I've got Ray sitting here next to me. And we're just kind of going to let you guys give your input. And then I'm going to try and pick it apart. I already kind of know what Ray's thinking, but... I already told you what I was thinking. I know. Paul, are you there with us, buddy? I'm here. How are doing? We're doing well. How was your trip to the Orange County supermarket? Excellent, excellent. <laughs> got the milk, got the eggs, got the basics. Uh, it's everything a man needs. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right, so you know what we're talking about? We're going to let Ray, ladies first, lead off on this one. Ray, just talk about... Uh, what makes a professional shooter? Like, is it the jersey? Um, it could be non-competitive scene. It could be, you know, it was the military guys that make him a professional. Like, I'm trying to let everybody understand what is that professional title that goes in front of a person. Okay. So go ahead. So we talked about this, and we talked about race car drivers, right? Well, you need to you need to let everybody know uh, kind of what we're talking about first. You said you were a little upset that you were classified as a, or not just, me. not just you, but people in general were classified as a sponsored shooter, or sorry, a professional if they were sponsored, right? Yeah. And then my response to that was, well, if you look at NASCAR, the guy who comes in last place is still a professional race car driver. So, I don't know. Wouldn't a person who who receives product or payment for advertising be considered a professional? Negative. 
Okay, now you can elaborate. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't think if like a company gives you pretend like a t-shirt, you're a sponsor shooter and you're a professional. That is not I don't the think definition a t-shirt of falls into the same I, category. I'm I just think saying, it has to be general. some type of rifle component. Would you agree, Paul? Yeah, I would agree. Definitely more than a shirt. Um, doesn't have to be a whole gun, but it's got to be somewhere in between. So let's just sure. let's make it easy for all of us here, and let's say, how about an optic? You are given an optic to use, and let's say you you get a couple matches throughout the year that are paid for by this optic company. Okay. And then you wear a shirt that has their name on it. Okay. Are you a professional? I would consider that a professional shooter. Well, you know, I mean, it would depend on the person. Are you still a professional if you come in 78th out of 85 shooters? Well, maybe. Okay, let's say. How much are they paying out of pocket? I guess I haven't really thought about it. Let's say the scope. Are we talking about MSRP or cost? I'm talking about the cost of going to a match. If they just get product and a match slot and they're paying $2,000 to go to this match. Mm. Out of pocket. Okay. Let, let me break it down very simple here. All right. Since you like to make things complicated... This is getting more complicated than I thought it would be, Paul. You get given one scope. It is valued at $2,200. And you've got two matches paid for. Whichever two matches you want to go to, those two matches. Just the match fees. Not travel, not anything else. So we're looking at another $500. So a total value money given to you for the year. It's $2,700. Okay, so however m- amount they got, I would have to see how they perform and what the intention of Girl, you're getting company. off the beaten track here. We're talking about, does this make you a professional shooter? That's what I'm saying. No, it could and it could not. Because what if that company just wanted you to do marketing? You know, if you suck as a shooter and they just want the product to be out there and to be seen... That, that does not make you a professional shooter. I okay. don't think so. Paul, in I, my want, opinion. I want you to interject here for a second. Let's say a car, you know, and I don't want to disrespect any NASCAR racers out there, but let's say car number, I don't know, 97. He's got a Sunoco oil sticker on the side of his car, but he's always placing last. Does the company care? But he's still a professional. Like, help well, help me go through uh, this year. Well, when you initially posed me this question, I, I thought about it, and like I initially, my gut reaction was, okay, let's talk about money. What are they getting? What are they being paid? What are they being, you know, sponsored with product, whatever? But then I realized, like, I thought about like not just any job, but realistically, in my opinion, a professional shooter is one that is not just. You know, placing well, obviously, you know, skill set needs to be there. Ideally, he'd be placing towards the top. But if not, I think it's also the whole package itself, the mindset, um, being able to represent the companies appropriately, um, represent the, the sport uh, in a positive image. Um, it's, it's a whole package deal, not necessarily just pure, 
pure shooting ability or competitive, being competitive, obviously, you know, hopefully you'll agree that well, but um, I think it's more of a holistic holistic thing than, you know, let's qualify with numbers. Even though I'm an accountant, I realize, like, there's much more to being a professional shooter than just, you know, taking the top <clears throat> top uh, place, you know. So that's kind of how I was thinking about it. I'm not sure how you guys feel about that. Well, I'm I'm sitting here, and I like sports. You know I like sports. Everybody around me knows I like sports. There's not a lot of um, sponsoring in football, but other yeah. sports have sponsors like NASCAR, tennis, golf, you know, all of these different sports. Individual people are sponsored by companies, and I'm just trying to figure out what path – the precision rifle competitions are headed down, right? Because it feels like right now we're in that phase where you don't necessarily have the best shooters getting all of the sponsorships. It it seems like it could be good sportsmen, people who are well-liked, people who got good social media followings, right? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, like a company is sponsoring because a why because they want to market and advertise right yes absolutely so i'm just i guess i'm just curious what path precision rifle is going to go down you know it's going to be like hey ray you know thanks for using our powder put this sticker on your back and have a nice day <laughs> you know um or you know our companies you know where does it go from here and yeah, I, is I, I, is everybody that you know, I, I like your point where you're like, you got to be a good human being. You got to represent the sport. You got to be somebody that's approachable. You know, if you are good, then people need to be able to come up to you and be like, hey, I'm having a hard time. Or maybe you just reach out to them because you see them struggling and you offer your assistance. Like, that's that's a, a professional sportsman, you know. But for the company side of it, when you're donating product, when you're giving money away, you know. I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's, it seems like a gray area right now. No, it absolutely is a gray area. Like I said, I think it's, we're in a really good time right now. It's, the sport is definitely growing. You know, there's a lot of opportunities for obviously new shooters to come in, but also for people that have been doing this for a while to really excel and, and do, do well for companies as well as the sport. So it's, it's kind of hard to quantify, I would say. I mean, um, you know, definitely know product is one thing definitely I, I have to agree like you know there's just a monetary value to everything essentially you know um pure cash is wonderful but the reality is too like product is worth something you know it, it is worth money and the fact that a company is willing to entrust someone um with you know thousands of dollars potentially a product does say a lot so the expectation um needs to be there on the company side to go hey you know, is this person going to do right? Um, do right by what we as a company would want. I think represent us well. Um, obviously, we're placing well, so you know the product and the logos are all over the place. But beyond that, I mean, they really have to choose wisely and uh, find someone that is going to do well. You know, in all aspects. So it's hard to say, man. It's hard to put a dollar value on anything or delineate. But very true. And along that line right there, you're talking about hard to put a dollar line on it. And 
it's interesting yeah. because you could be, you know, a number one, number two, number three shooter, but be very, like, not friendly, right? Yeah. Right. And, you know, people don't want to talk to you. They don't They don't care about what gear you're running. They know you're a good shooter, but you're just, you're not the guy that, that you know, they feel comfortable talking to Whereas, like, you could be Ray. Ray's <laughs> coming up in the world right now, but she's still placing in, like, the 30s, you know? But and that's okay. she's no, like that's, a that's Gabby jaw, you know? <laughs> like, if there's anybody at the match that she hasn't ever once said hello to, she'd be like, oh, my God, I don't know who that person is. I'm going to go say hi, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm going to say hi. <laughs> so you kind of look at it like, do you want to put product in the winner's hand you want to put product in a person who is just out there being a good representative it's rough you know it's very rough you got anything to add ray well i still don't agree with what you guys are saying i think it would fall under a i guess my view of a professional shooter is someone who's actually making a decent amount of money to supplement their income Okay. You know, I mean, not, I mean, I see companies are giving, you know, sponsorships to people that are just starting out and that they're just helping that shooter out, you know, and it's more of a marketing thing than you are a really good shooter. I'm going to give you this product or money just because I want you to run my gear because you're so good at this, Uh good at your, you know, at shooting that is i get it well precision rifle competitively is in such i don't want to call it in its infancy stages but it, it is you know it's it's not at the level at other sports you know and i don't know if anybody's actually taking home cash every single day or every weekend where it's like hey i can make a living off of this so does that mean that there's no professionals out there right now no, there. I think it's getting there. It's it's starting to turn. Uh-huh. I mean, you look at all these companies um, offering. Hey, if you like USO, if you you know win US a optics. match, yes, US Optics. If you win a match, you will give you two thousand dollars. Okay, you know a regular season match. Yeah, yeah. Look at McMillan. I guess if you could win four matches in one month, you'd have eight thousand dollars. Jake's gonna be rich. so uh let me pitch another question to you guys i think i don't know if it started last year or the year before but there's certain people that you know are sponsored Mm -hmm. by companies and then you know a majority of those people are advertising for that company they wear a jersey they wear a hoodie they wear a jacket they wear something that signifies they are a sponsored shooter and i don't know specifically when it started but there was a point in time where it was like shooters started shaming uh you know sponsored people like oh jersey shooter oh you're a jersey shooter oh you're a jersey shooter and I don't know. Like, what do you think about that? What do you think, right? Well, when, I, when I've when i talked to people before, um, and, and when we used to wear jerseys for, like, a second, 
Um, there would be like we wore it for a company we that did, we worked for exactly. But we would I would run into people and they're like, oh, you guys are actually really nice in your jersey shooter. Well, what they told me is they haven't had good experiences with jersey shooters. So kind of a little bit of a too much ego in there. Possibly, I don't know what they have experienced. Like but. I'm sponsored, I got a jersey. Like stay over there, you low level person. You. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they didn't share their gummy bears. I don't know. Okay. Well, Ray, you've been in this game for, what, two and a half years now? Are we on year three right now? This is year three. Okay. Of Paul, full year. you're a little bit greener than Ray. You've dabbled in the competitive realm for, you know, in and out maybe a year. So what's your thoughts and opinions on, ooh, they're wearing jerseys, you know, like I want to get to the bottom of this stigma that somewhere creeped up and, and kind of, you know, it's unfortunate that it turned out this way. Yeah, no, I, I kind of have to, like, I, I do remember we, we actually spoke about this a while ago about the uh, jersey shaming thing. And I laughed because, you know what, I, in a way, I, I remember myself feeling the same way that a lot of people felt like there definitely is, there is or was. Uh, a sense of like let's call it elitism um you know in the sport i mean it's a, it's a very competitive sport by nature obviously but um uh, i remember i had come up i'm, I'm still coming up obviously um i there was some oh, i'm not saying intimidation no not at all but uh there is in my in the back of my mind subconscious level almost like there's like an unofficial line that's drawn whether it's whether it's my hang-up or not, I don't know. But I do feel that way. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I, I'm walking, I'm at a match or whatever, and I'm just wearing a plain gray sweatshirt. I look to my left, look to my right, and I've got, you know, walking billboards all over. Um, <laughs> how do I feel about that? I don't know. I mean, you know, it, to, to them, that's great. Um, but, you know, there definitely is uh, a, a, uh, a stigma, I would say. Um, again, maybe it's my, my, my perception. Maybe it's my, it's my perception. Um, I can't give you any specific examples of, of any incidents I've, I've experienced personally, but you know, I kind of get what people were feeling and, and whether or not it's changed, I don't know. Um, but that's kind of how I feel about it, man. So. Do you think it's that way because there are, you know, again, we're still dealing with this gray area, but there's professional shooters mixed with amateurs. Yeah, I think that's the nature of it. I mean, you know, um, absolutely, absolutely. You know, if everyone's wearing black sweatshirts, nobody would give a crap, right? But um, the truth is, they're not, and they're not for a reason. You know, and um, it's good, good for the sport, good for the companies. Um, but yeah, I do think, like, you know, when when I'm spotted with someone that you know, has free everything or, or is, I know, has free match fees or whatever, it, for me, it's intimidating in, in, a, in a way that, like, one, I hope to get there, to be honest with you. You know, I have to be recognized enough, skillful enough to get there. On the flip side, it makes me question myself, what am I doing here? Why am I even here? You know, should I be here? So the psychological aspect of that is something that I think is going to be there by nature when you have a mix of, quote-unquote amateur and quote-unquote professional, you know? That's just how it is. Gotcha. So the stigma that has kind of developed with jersey shooters, and Ray, you brought up a good point. Paul, you got a, a good point as well. 
do you think that the stigma was created by the amateurs or the jersey shooters? Like, for your point, Ray, you're like, well, you know, I talked to a few people, and they said that, you know, they talked with a few of the so-called jersey shooters, and they weren't very friendly, right? To me, that would that would almost seem like, you know, again, we don't know the context or, or yeah. you know, the pretext, but that would seem like that's the, the jersey shooter's fault, right? Mm-hmm. But then you look at Paul's side, and now it's like, okay, it's a little intimidating. You got a mix of professional and amateurs all shooting together. So does the intimidation and like the, man, I don't know. Intimidation sounds like a, a strong word, but it's just, and I understand where it comes from. You know, like you first get into this and you're just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I'm getting two or three hits on this stage and this guy's getting 10 on every single stage that I go to, you know, like. So at what point, like, how do we get rid of some of that feeling? Is it the pro-ams? Should there be more pro-ams in the U.S. where we have professionals and amateurs partnered together and working to each other, like the Guardian matches? Mm-hmm. Paul, have you heard how yeah, the Guardian matches go down? Yeah, yeah. I, that's actually initially what I thought of, like, when you, when you mentioned that, like, it, it sure as shit couldn't hurt. I'll tell you that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's definitely an awesome, an awesome way to run a match, and it's encouraging for both both sides, I guess you want to call it. But I mean, um, mixing it up never hurts anybody for anything. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Not just to level things out, but to really encourage you know both sides to kind of come together, kumbaya, but um, to essentially force two people that never would talk really to, to talk and hang out and shoot together and. Definitely, and now one of the Guardian matches last year, well, it wasn't that long ago, what, Arizona back in December or so, um, the first day, you shoot normal one-day match, and then day two, they partner you up, you know, best shooter with worst shooter, get together, do your thing, and they just keep partnering guys up like that, and there was actually quite a few professional, like, top-of-the-leaderboard shooters who are like, hey, I'm not going to shoot. Like, you're going to shoot your gun, then you're going to shoot my gun, and we're just going to work through these problems and kind of, you know, hang out. And, you know, it's I think it's matches like that that kind of helps get rid of that, that stigma a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I think it, it, it frankly would kind of brings people back down to earth, but also elevates people, too. So, I agree, that's awesome. Now, I think the other side of this stigma is, so you've got kind of the the what is it the you're a dick and then a little intimidation kind of mix in there but there's a whole nother side right where there's just a group of shooters who feel like why is this guy wearing a jersey he doesn't rate he's not good enough what did he do or a female mm-hmm. right like oh she's got tits that's the only reason that she's sponsored right now you know like how does that yeah. factor in because I see, like, that one is, I feel like that's what actually started this entire thing, is that you've got shooters who may not be the best, but for whatever reason, that company chose to give them product, give them money, put a jersey on their back, and, 
hey, we're out here to represent, and now you're making fun of us, like, or a female getting made fun of because she's in this game, you know? So, I don't know. Ray, hit it. On? Just that topic, you know? Like, I know it's not all females, but at some point, they kind of all just get lumped in together because there's the inner circle of people in this community who know what's going on, and then there's the outer circle who's just kind of watching, right? They don't know all the ins and outs, so what they see is what they see, you know? Well, I think that kind of goes beyond just competition. I think that goes to, like, social media, where you see these... um, I, I see a lot of people hate on females or males getting product but they're not shooters they don't they're not you know they just kind of pose with the gun Mm -hmm. and a lot of the regular shooters are like why are they getting items that means that i'm not going to get it true but i have not seen any person show up to a match with a jersey on just to pose i mean if they're there they're shooting they might not be great, but they're shooting, you know? So, I don't know. Where where, where, where did we just sit back and be like, you know what? It, it's good for them. Like, isn't that something that we should strive to do is just look at the other side and be like, you know what? Good for them. I wish them well. Cause, I mean, I don't know why people would hate. But people do. Well, that's just... On them, yeah, I think. Because... Paul, what you think? Yeah, I think that's that, that's that's kind of life, man. I mean, uh, you know, some people have it, some people don't. A lot of it's just a a type of skill set and ability. It's it's frankly a time and place. You know what I mean? That's life, man. Um, ideally, yeah. I mean, we'd all be happy for each other, but the truth is, like, that's not how things work. And there is a jealousy, I guess. I'm I'm gonna assume it's it's some kind of jealousy whatever you want to call it, that kind of has spiraled into something else that like, you know, if he went from a, I mean, I like this person as a person. I think he's a crappy shooter. So because of that, I'm going to correlate every guy or gal in a jersey as a douchebag. And you know what I mean? So it, I'm assuming it started with something like that at some point, somewhere, somebody. Well, that you, <laughs> nowadays you got the keyboards to hide behind, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I agree. I mean, you you can type whatever you want and not get hit in the face. Well, (laughs) unless Ryan Hayes on it. (laughs) (laughs) He'll reach right through that screen and grab you, son. Well, anyways, I think that was a good conversation. I just, I thought it was an interesting topic to hit on what makes a professional shooter. And it just kind of snowballed from there. So that's all I got for right now. Paul, appreciate you calling in, man. We'll uh, catch you tomorrow out at the range where it's nice and cold, 40 40 degrees during the day and 20 degrees at night. Some people will make fun of us for us saying that's cold, though, by the way. I know. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're from California. I don't don't lump me into that. I'm not from California. You lived in California for quite some time. I had no choice. The government placed (laughs) me there. But you still live there. I mean... Technically, we could go back and we could look at some technical stuff that happened to me. But uh, Camp Pendleton is not considered California. Isn't that correct, Paul? That's correct. (laughs) That's federal property. (laughs) Anyway, that's a story for another day. 
Uh, appreciate everybody listening. Paul, appreciate you calling in. Ray, we always love your opinions, and you you just need to keep at it, girl. You're doing well. Uh, what's your next match? Um, the Bakersfield match. Bakersfield in mid-March? Yes, sir. You going to beat me? I'm going to try. All right. Well, but look, first, we have to sign up. I look forward to it. By the way, <laughs> you still owe me push-ups. We never did win calls. I kept count how many misses you had. <laughs> I will collect. All right. This is Tyler, Ray, and Paul from Sub MOA. We're checking out here, and we'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>